Hello, this is Ken, your podcast preacher. Welcome back to my podcast, Deep Waters. This podcast is brought to you by Applied Strengths Ministry, where we believe working together in our strengths is the effect of working out the will and calling of God in and through our lives. The title of this message is Identifying God as an Unbeliever. So no, I'm not opening up this message implying that we can actually discover God as an unbeliever. Nope. And as silly as it sounds, that I would even have to say something like this, the reason is that there is a devil who has a principality assigned to the airwaves. Ephesians 2.2 And so but the ignorant or stupid, and I mean Proverbs 12.1 stupid, not the other kind, will buy into anything that is said about God because they are God stupid, due to any desire to learn about their self-proclaimed Christianity. Okay, scripture time, before I get too far ahead of myself, and I don't want you to think that I'm hard charging out the gate to offend anyone. I consider myself to have been the dumbest person on the planet for waiting so long to allow God into my train wreck of a life so that I could hold him personally accountable for all of my sins. And little did I know, that's exactly why he wanted in. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So you see, you cannot sneak up on God with your I'm all that and a bag of chips and all that other type of attitudinal thinking and think that you're playing about God for so many years was his plan and not yours. Okay, but back to the stupid scripture and the beast of the airways. I just want you to see that they exist. Proverbs tell one, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Okay, so you need another one? There are lots for us to chew on. Look, Proverbs 15, 32, 33. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So many Easter eggs, but I must go on. Ephesians 2, 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And the sons of disobedience are the sinners, the unrepentant, I don't believe in God sinners. So here you see the things you hear and say can be, if you are not careful to walk in the spirit, poison to the soul for the other listening ear. Listen, as I am right now typing out this message, listening to one of my favorite worship groups because they pour the words right into the atmosphere and make it easy for me to think clearly, this scripture dropped into my spirit. This happens because God is always helping me to write these things so that they are helpful and will invoke change in your very lives. Look at his whisper, as no doubt John was in this very same place when the Bible shares in Revelation that he turned to see the sound. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now that there is good medicine to kick off your day in his peace, I think this is where the valley girl got some of her language. <laughs> Whatever. No, but look at the words. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, good reports, virtuous, or praiseworthy. See how he snuck in that praiseworthy in at the end of that beautiful set of words? Can your heart do anything else but be oh so glad 
that we are headed to him and one day we will see all of these words or descriptors manifesting out of him when he greets us as we enter into his rest. No, but listen to that image. We are all moving at a certain rate of speed towards his promise to us and slowly moving away from the troubles of this world. Can't be a vacation that could ever top that. One very near day, as time is so swift, we will no longer be on this planet. No more algebra or government classes. <laughs> but if you knew how difficult these classes were to me, you would rejoice with me. All right, let's get to the message. So what does God look like to you when you are unsaved? So in the Bible, in Romans chapter 1, it talks about general revelation. Let's fish that up for a minute, shall we? Romans 1, 18-23 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Now this is for the not yet born-againers, and it is how God speaks to the hardened heart and stiff-necked runaways. I will be providing some testimonies that come from my time before I was born again and show you what that looks like. Now you might say, Ken, if you knew it was God doing these things in your life, and you had no interest in Him whatsoever, then what's the point? I mean, you didn't get saved until you were nearly 40 years of age. Hey, <laughs> who told you that? No, well, but sometimes in matters pertaining to the spiritual things in life, or rather in eternity, time means something different to God than to us. He's not in a hurry, right? He sees our entire life all at once. And how cool is that? No, but I would not want that superpower, because if I saw what I was to become before I was born again, I may have prematurely jumped off a cliff to avoid the mess. You see, God wasn't trying to save me so that I could do a bunch of work for him. <laughs> no way. He was trying to capture my heart so that I would want to know him. His passion for me was more raging than a teenage boy going after the love of his life. Talk about all-consuming, right? So about the late 80s, my wife and I were all about fixing cars, specifically VW Bugs. We liked to do that to race them and to enter them into car shows. I liked winning and I had a real eye for detail and for creativity. But in entering into this world of car shows, I realized that the big boys did not like VWs. You think this matters? Of course it does, because it was the big boys who would sponsor the shows. And well, they liked winning too. But the difference was that they didn't mind tipping the scales a bit if it meant that they got to take home the trophy. Oh, we are always going after the glorifying of ourselves, if only for a minute. Well, in this non-Christian season of my life, I didn't like the fact that they had set up a cheating ring throughout all of the car shows in my area. This made it impossible for me to win, even, yes, even, if I was the only car in the class. Yep, this means if you have no one to compete against, it should be an automatic win. 
Now, I always love to compete against other cars because it is sweeter to win against another competitor than to win without any competition. I don't believe everybody should get a trophy because they're on the team. So back to the reality check of discovering politics exists, even in car shows. I did not win my alone-in-the-class trophy. Nope, my class or name wasn't called. So I asked the president of this event why they didn't call the VW class. And I was told that someone stole the Corvette trophy, and so they gave them the VW one instead. And then he just walked away. This show was in Susanville, so my wife and I had a long drive home, about three hours, to think about how we could ever again enter a car show locally run by these car trophy mobsters. We felt mocked and humiliated simply because we liked VWs. Anyway, this continued to happen when I entered their car shows. I was winning at other car shows, so I had some hope. So here we are, we entered into a car show in Orland. Y'all know I live in California, and this car show was run by a guy named Hal. If there were others involved other than Hal's family, I didn't know who they were. But I only learned that he wasn't one of the other guys until the end of the show. It was his first time putting on a car show, which was sponsored by the police department, I believe. So a bit about what you can win at a show. And it does vary depending on the show. You can win a trophy for the following categories. For best paint or best engine, best engineered car, best interior, best stereo, best in your class, people's choice, and best overall, or sometimes they call that best in show. So you can walk away with a trunk full if you attend that kind of a car show. Some shows only give best in class or just best in show. Anyways, it varies. So in my case, I never did believe in building a show car that you didn't drive. I drove my car every day. And in so doing, it required a lot of upkeep to keep it in show-winning shape. So to put away any thoughts that that could have been the reason why I wasn't winning with that particular group, I drove to a car show in Reading and was competing against cars that were showing up in enclosed trailers. This meant that they were garage art, meaning that they were never driven, built just to win shows but not to enjoy driving. These cars are difficult for a daily driver to compete against because, well, they don't drive them. On this particular day, it ended up raining all the way up to the car show, which meant I really had to do some cleaning and polishing to get it in shape. I ended up winning that show. Yep, there was one trophy and I got it. Now, no, that did not make anyone happy, especially the cars that had to get loaded back up in the trailer. I got to enjoy mine by driving it back home. To me, that was as much fun as winning. So we're back to Orland. I'm cleaning my car underneath with a toothbrush because that's where my car's teeth are at. <laughs> no. But this is how to clean a daily driver show car. And so while I'm brushing away, some nice old lady peeks under the car and asks me what I'm doing with that toothbrush. I told her, and she was just floored, that I would be cleaning a car's undercarriage with a toothbrush. This so impressed her that at the end of the show, she shared it with all the participants. She just couldn't get over the fact that I was brushing my car with a toothbrush. So the car is clean and the judges go around and they look for everything wrong with it and with what things they like about it. Then in the afternoon, after all the scores are added up, they round everybody up and begin to announce the winners, usually starting off with the winner in each class. The number of classes varies from show to show and is usually determined by the size of the show. They got to my class and it was announced that I had won the VW class. Now, I think that I did not have any competition in my class that day, so this would have been a given anyways, unless you know those other guys. 
Then the show, after going through all of the classes, announced the best systems of the car in the entire show. So now all the cars are competing with all of the other cars entered in the show, not just those in your class. It was announced that I had won the best engine. This surprised me because we had those trailered cars that never even started up their engine. This was the first time that I had won such an award. I was totally excited because I had won two awards for the first time. They then announced that they were to announce Hal's pick, which was a person who put on the show. This is also a very prestigious award because, one, there was only one, and points had nothing to do with the pick. It was all up to the person picking the car. And if you like the ugliest car in the show, that car got a trophy. Now, of all of the cars there, some being valued at more than 10 times my car, he announced that he liked my car and read off a list as the why. I am pretty sure I almost got prematurely raptured, even though I didn't know what that word meant at the time. <laughs> so here I am, sitting on three awards, and my wife and I were shocked. So there we were, waiting for them to announce the best in show, which is the most coveted of awards. Now, we didn't expect to get this, because we've never won such an award. And there were a lot of cars in this show. The award is based on total points from all of the judges. The trophy was taller than my wife, and for this show, it was the only trophy given out. So you can imagine how I felt when they called off my name for that trophy. Now, I was definitely interested in this car show's over-response to my attendance, and why I had won so many awards. Not that they were undeserved, I just couldn't figure out why it went right for the first time in my life at a car show. And you already know a lot of those people that heard my name being called for that trophy, threw up their arms, got mad, and left in a huff. I just didn't understand it. I mean, my car was near a 100-point car, but what was weird was that no other car show had treated the car with the same reverence. In fact, it was the opposite. So after the show, I went and talked to Hal, and I asked him, how could these things be? He stated, and Hal could have been an angel and sent as a response from God, for those other guys doing what they had been doing to me. But Hal stated that I have been watching you on the show car circuit and have seen what they have been doing to you. I was glad I could set the record straight. 38 years later and I still think about how I had this feeling that God was somehow involved in that car show. I won four awards, more than any of the other cars in the show. Now the message is about identifying God as an unbeliever. Well, these things don't just naturally occur because something is unjustly happening to you. He was speaking to me. Another time, someone had done something that I did not understand at the time. You know, when you have friends, you will often hear them saying that they would die for you. But if you end up living for a minute on this planet, you will discover that most no one will actually die for you. In fact, most won't show up at your time of need, which may very well be far from a life and death situation. And I say this having some friends who came very close nearly to dying for me because we thought it best to handle our business with weapons that could have sent my life in a completely different direction had we followed through with our initial intent. So this friend, and please pay attention as we wrap up, because he used an effective evangelism technique that won me to God. Now who doesn't want to do that, right? We were both working on the Northridge earthquake as partners. He was my federal partner, and I represented the state. He made it a habit somehow to get me to chat about God, and then would just quietly go away 
when I'd get too confrontational about the whole mess. I wasn't bitter. I was very interested in God, but I wanted more than just a religious figure. Well, his contract came up, and he told me that he was going to go back home. He lived in Sacramento, and he was going to return to his normal job, the Army Corps of Engineers. Well, this impacted me more than you could know, because besides his wonderful professional mannerisms, he was starting to turn me around. I did something which I was accustomed to doing with my friends, which was to see if he valued the relationship as much as I did. I was also nervous because he was married, and he had a family in Sacramento. We were busy working in all 12 Southern California counties, so he was away from home, and had been so, for about six months. I asked him to stay. Yep, I asked him to stay in SoCal and continue to work with me. Three days later, or so, he came back to me and told me that he re-enlisted and signed up for more time. That act of kindness is what did it for me. Someone actually proved that I was worth their time and investment. I was usually the one that was always propping up my friend relationships and going out of the way to stay in contact with people. But he stated that he would stay. And in truth, I just couldn't figure out why he would do that for a guy like me. I mean, after all, I was a sinner. So but this is God right in my face. Nope, I wasn't feeling convicted of my sins. God wasn't doing that. And neither was my friend John. More than 25 years later, we still stay in contact. I could see God and his working through this guy. Never did he address me as a lost sinner needing salvation. That's God before being saved. Look, peeps, you have it in you to win people to the Lord by your conduct and patience. God wants the lost to see him through your actions and contacts with the lost of the universe. Of course, there are other ways that God will expose himself to you while you are strongly and ignorantly rejecting everything about him. But what love does he have for his lost kidlets? How he loves us and our messes is near beyond me. And I say near beyond because I know now, because he's still doing it in my life. Breathe in, that's God. Look at the creation, that's God. Stand in a rainstorm. Think about how this came to be. It is him, all him, even down to the scent of the flowers and campfires. And after I got saved, it was like I saw things differently right away. And I saw other things as I grew as a Christian. Now when I watched movies, which is one of my greatest dying interests these days, due to the smut that's in them, but in watching the movie, like The Matrix, it had smut too, you could see how the gospel unfolded right before your eyes. That is that. That's general revelation, which is a level of revelation that God uses to catch his lost kidlets. Perhaps I've been so very trained up in it now, but I see him everywhere I turn. Whatever I am doing, I can see or hear or get revelation for a message such as this one. I've even sung worship songs to him in my sleep. No, yes, I could hear me singing, and I knew that I was doing so while I was sleeping. Now how's that for trickery? If you are not growing tighter with him all the time, every day, then you should be comforted to know that it is not him that is a problem. It is in fact you. <laughs> no worries, because you can fix this by listening to me in these podcasts. Yep, listen to them and do what they say and grow in God. I'm teaching you my experiences and my encounters with him. All of the more than a thousand books is at your service. I have no need to keep all of that knowledge in my head for heavenly posterity. Nope, I give it to you as mine, theirs, and his. Well, that's it for this message. Remember, it's not what you find wrong or disagree with regarding these messages. 
but what you can take away from it. Together we can do more to impact the kingdom than if we work alone. Let's flip the script and kill, steal, and destroy the works of the enemy and create space for the light of life to shine through into people's lives. Plant a seed and click on the like and subscribe button. Let's build this ministry together. Now I want to say thanks to those who are really following my suggestion to partner with me in this ministry by clicking on the like and subscribe button. The numbers are going up. I know it sounds petty, but God is looking for those who would click on the like button and subscribe button because it shows him you are interested in him. I'm just like you, but to want to know him more is where all, yes, all the treasure is at. So thanks for clicking away. See you next time in deep waters.